You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. For those of you that have not been here uh, or were not here last week, we started a new series entitled Origins the study of beginnings, or a study of beginnings, origin, a study of beginnings. And that is the current series that we are in. Uh, So we're going to jump in here tonight a little bit deeper than I may normally go. Um, And when I say deeper, maybe a little bit deeper uh, on more the uh, academic side uh, uh, than maybe normally would go on a Wednesday night. And uh, I know that you can handle it. By the way, I've been, I've been rebuked a couple times by, it wasn't one, two, or three. I think, it was, I think it was about three or four people for me to stop saying that I'm going to preach short or that I'm preaching too long, that I just need to preach as long as I need to. And so uh, maybe I'll just say that a little bit more from now on. Just turn to somebody and tell them pastor's going to preach as long as he needs. Uh, I don't know. We'll see how that goes. Um, but... I, do, I am aware of the time, and I'm aware of everything that's going on, and thank you for being here on Wednesday night. Uh, I know after you've had a long day at work, middle of the week, and allergy season is upon us, so I know that we're fighting that. Thank you for those that stood in my said last night at men's prayer in my absence as I wrestle with that. Uh, but we want to get into this series, so glad to have you here tonight, and <coughs> I believe that this is, as I said the other night, not the most important series. I don't know, Brother Blake, how you ever say that anything you, you preach is the most important because you, you take the whole of the Word of God. But I would say that this is a most important series because it's so foundational. And I think if we don't get this right, if we don't at least uh, have the right posture and attitudes towards the Word of God concerning what we're talking about in this series... I think it, everything else unravels. You, you have nothing else to stand on. Your religion, your faith becomes just uh, experiential. Uh, and while that is wonderful, while that is great, and we thank God for that, uh, life can be difficult and hard and has a way of throwing you into some really hard situations, some really difficult situations. Um, and uh, if I can be, if I can be permitted, I don't think he would mind me sharing this. Uh, Sister Kate, did, you didn't get a chance. That video, will it, will it go up sometime? Did it go up today? No, okay. So I, I sat down last week with uh, Brother A.J. Holloway, and we were talking a little bit about Bibles and just discussing some things. And uh, so we'll be, we'll be putting that video out here soon. But as we were talking, of course, he was talking about how he had been in ministry and full-time ministry, and uh, serving the Lord most of his life, I, I guess all of his life. But then when the tragedy hit their home, for those of you that know that their, their house burnt down and their, their son Levi was lost in that, the tragedy that hit, he talks about going through that situation and that circumstance. And he told me, he said, uh, uh, and I don't know if this was on the video or if this was just in our private discussions. And I was asking him, when did you really take a deep dive into just reading the Word of God, studying the Word of God, what drove you to do this? And he said, that right there. 
And he said, when you hit an experience like that, you know, he had had the Holy Ghost been baptized, evidence speaking in tongues, had the, had the supernatural touch of God on his life and in his life. But sometimes you go through things and it rocks your world. And you've got to go back to know, God, is this true? Is this real? Is what I'm believing right? And it takes you to that place. We see a little bit of that as we walk through the book of Job in his narrative, just understanding what he's going through. And so my intent by going through this series, uh, this is not a series that necessarily we're going to clap and shout and run the aisles on kind of thing, but this is sort of to put the pieces in place in our mind and in our heart so that we can stand on something firm, so that you can stand on something. Wow, I thank God for all of this, and we praise God for all of this. And there is a blessing when we come together. There's a, there's a, there's a strength in the body when we come together. But we just walked through a crazy pandemic. Who knows what the future holds? Who knows what situation you individually could be or corporately could be where this is not available or that strength is not in your home like it once was. And you've got to know, what am I standing on? And I really believe that Genesis chapter 1 through 11 covers most of the foundation, most of the origins or the first concepts of everything that we're going to deal with in Life. Now, I don't want to rehash what we did last week. It's available on uh, Facebook. It's available on YouTube, and it will be available on podcasts. We'll do our best. Maybe we can get that handout up on uh, the internet. I failed that. I, I don't know if I emailed you tonight's handout, but maybe we can get that one on the Facebook in the notes section. Some I don't know how to do that, but they say if they put it up there, you can find that if you want to follow along. So last week, we looked at major reasons to take Genesis as actual events. Um, so I won't rehash those five points. Those are five important points for us as Christians and believers. So I was starting from the starting point of where we're at. You're already here. So I'm already taking uh, uh, for, for, for granted, I guess, or, or taking as credit that you believe somewhat of the Bible. And we went into that. But as we move on real quickly, let me just touch on a couple of things before we jump in tonight on your handout. You can set that aside for just a moment. Uh, beyond those five things that we gave, Jesus understood the Old Testament's history regarding the characters of Genesis 1 through 11 as historical. Genesis was written as history, not as allegory. Both Old and New Testaments take Genesis literal as history. And uh, we shouldn't deny uh, that just to accommodate uh, atheism or naturalism, which we'll look at that a little bit more tonight. Why? But in addition to all of that, likewise, we believe the Bible to be the inerrant word of God, which means the word without error, that God gave his word to us without error. It was the inspired word of God. Paul said it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction of righteousness, all of that stuff. So we take that stance. This is not just a book that somebody put together. This is the actual word of God. I won't take the time to go into a defense of the word of God, but I believe it is 70%, some, somewhere around 70% of the Bible is written prophetically in the context even of foretelling what is going to happen. And so much of Scripture has already been fulfilled, and there's no way that any human being, we know that the Bible dates itself right. We know it wasn't, even though people try to argue that, we, we've, it's beyond a shadow of a doubt proven that the Bible existed when the Bible says it existed. And there's no way that the Old Testament prophets could have fulfilled or known all of the details that Jesus Christ himself would fulfill. 
So based on that, we know since the Bible has always been true without error, without mistake. Now, some people will bring up and say, well, there's dis- uh, discrepancies in the Word of God and different things like that. That's, that's misinterpretations, misunderstandings, but the Word of God has stood to be true. Now, that doesn't mean that at times it's not been translated in a language here or there or taken, and, and, and people have gotten it wrong, but God did not get it wrong. The Word of God is inerrant. So we believe that. We believe that Scripture is not authoritative if it is not inerrant. So if you tell me the Word of God is not inerrant, if you tell me the Word of God is is susceptible, it's just man's opinions, then the Bible is no more authoritative than any other book in the library. And and everything else we have breaks down. So Scripture is not authoritative if it is not inerrant. If any of it is wrong, then all of it could be wrong. So if Genesis 1 through 11 is wrong, then I promise you a lot of the New Testament is going to be wrong also. And which part is wrong and right? How do we just decide? Is that left to our opinions? Is love your enemies wrong? Is thou shalt not kill wrong? How do we pick and choose which part we want to keep and which part we don't want to keep? So if, uh, uh, or is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us wrong. So if scripture contains errors, then whoever decides which part are in error becomes the authority over God's word. And that's a dangerous place to be. So what I'm presenting to you tonight is that the word of God is the authority. This is what Paul did when he came. He said, if I or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. We are the messenger. We are the preacher. But we are not the authority. And we are not without error. We could get things wrong. And so what stands forever is the word of God. So maybe sometimes as, as pastor, I know I probably made, I know I made mistakes. I know I'll make more mistakes. I don't always know the mistakes I made when I make the mistakes. Sunday, I, I was cussing out devils and I didn't even know it. <laughs> half of you didn't catch that, but the other half surely did. <clears throat> I don't know. Maybe I have cussed out devils before. I don't know. I thought maybe, maybe that's true. I don't know. <laughs> I try not to, but somebody told me, Sister Restamanga said, well, if you're going to cuss, then you need to cuss out the devil. So I don't know that that's Bible, so don't take that as, a, as, as an errant there. So when we approach these topics, we must use logic and reason. However, we admit, we admit that our human intellect is finite. It is with great limitations. And so therefore, we're not coming saying that we are the final word. The final word is the word. So that means there may be some things I don't totally understand, and maybe there's some things that you don't totally understand, but that does not discredit the authority of the Word. That just shows and manifests my finiteness, my limitations, my human uh, inability. Paul even said, didn't they say we know in part and we see in part, but then we're going to see face to face. You know, we're going to know. There's going to be an understanding that comes beyond what we have now. Because Scripture has been proven over and over again as... Only a book uh, over and over again is not only, or let me see, did I miss this here? Because as a book written by an absolute God. Yes, it has been proved over and over again as a book only written by an absolute God. Sorry, I wasn't feeling well this morning when I typed up these notes. <laughs> 
This is not the word of God. It is with air. So I, I got to figure out what I'm saying here because there's only a book written. Okay. But an absolute God can know. I don't know what I was saying there, but I think what I was trying to say, <laughs> I think what I was trying to say was that because, because God is absolute, because we're finite, we know we can trust in God's word. So we do trust in God's word. Let me put this disclaimer out here, and I've said this before. This is something that I've sort of held on to myself, and that is this, that the Bible does not tell us everything there is to know, but it tells us everything we need to know. And there's a big difference between that. In fact, I would propose to you that there are certain things we don't need to know. For whatever reason, I don't know, but God does not owe us an explanation for his ways or his sovereignty. For reference, see the book of Job. Job goes, why? And God just says, where were you? Job, there's some things you will not understand. But what you need to know is that you can trust me. So there are things that I won't know. There's things about the world, about history, about all of this existence that I won't know. But the Bible tells me everything that I need to know. And I know I can put my trust in him. So we begin this study knowing that Genesis is presented as actual history and factual accounts of real events and real people. So it's not presented as an allegory. So we can start with that assumption. Now, that doesn't mean that there could be latitudes uh, 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 given, latitude given or tolerance allowed for uh, acceptable, acceptable variances within the interpretation of Scripture. And we will talk about those as we approach each topic. There are uh, some, some things that are beyond us that we don't really know, nail down emphatically. Um, for instance, the Bible gives us timeline. It gives us generational periods and years, but the Bible does not say the earth is this many years old in so many words. And so sometimes we have to try to piece, piece them together and uh, figure out what's going on. It doesn't tell us how long Adam and Eve was in the Garden of Eden. There are certain things that are unknown that are left to us to figure out. And so there, are, there can be allowable tolerances and latitude and different takes and interpretations on these scriptures. And we'll talk about that as we address those things. But let me just say this to Genesis 1 through 11 is so critical. And let me encourage the parents. Thank you for being here as adults. But let me specifically encourage the parents, those that are parents in this room, that it is first your responsibility that your children know these things. Thank God for a church. Thank God for our Sunday school teachers that labor Sunday morning. I loved, I was, I was in the office tying up some, some things with my message Sunday, and I heard Brother Zarita out here start Sunday school, and the toddler class was going. I could hear Sister Larissa teaching the youth class upstairs, and, and I, all of this stuff is going on, and it was just, it made me feel so good that so many people were coming, and they were helping, and, and they were putting out, and thank God for a church. I'm a product of Sunday school. I'm a product of, of the church. I grew up in church. Thank God for that. But first, the first responsibility is mom and dad. 
in the home, making sure that your parents know or that your as parents, your children are exposed to these things and know these things. These are big topics that your kids will probably want to talk to you about at some point, and we have to be careful not to brush them off. So that's why I want to give this to you. Let's take um, Genesis chapter 1. If you want to turn in your Bible, we, we are going to get into this study is looking at Genesis chapter 1 through 11. And so today, I vow to get through the first half of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. Now, imagine with me, the children of Israel have come out of Egypt and after living a period in Canaan, and of course the story of Abraham, he comes from the Sumerian Plains, Ur of Chaldees, the area that later would become Babylon, that, that sort of region there, that school of thought. There's a lot of things we do have our first history of it's interesting that really our first like recorded histories of humanity take place in the same place that Genesis 11 and Genesis 12 take place. And so you go back to there to those languages, some of the earliest languages. Uh, Sumer um, was sort of the early part. This is where Abraham came out of. It was amazing when you go back and study it, how advanced the people were. We often look back on antiquity and think that they were dumb, they were foolish, they were not wise, they were not smart. That is absolutely not the case. It's, it's astonishing what they did with the lack of technology that we seemingly think that they did not have. And so uh, in this, God gives a powerful statement. We'll look at this a little bit later because there were many evolved ideas that had already come about and would be solidified within this time period or before this time period, thoughts about creation, about God, about the existence of life. And it's in the context of that that God is speaking to Moses and the first words come. So this is like earth-shattering, counter-cultural statement. As much as secularism today takes a hold, anybody that believes in Genesis 1-1 is sort of looked as at foolish, it would have been that much more back then. And yet God gives these words to Moses, and he pins them, Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, we've heard it so much. We know it so much. I grew up with this, hearing this so much, memorizing this. that it, Oh, yeah, I know it. As soon as somebody begins, I can quote it in my sleep, literally, my subconscious. I can quote this verse. And we don't realize how, how um, big of a statement this would have been against the backdrop of Egyptology, later the Babylonian, uh, concepts, the, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Canaanites, their mythologies, and all of that stuff. So in these first three verses, we have, or in the first verse, we have three intertwined topics that I will give to you. Three intertwined topics. Uh, topics. They're, not on the, they're not on the screen. But these three topics are intertwined. You cannot separate them. And that is 
the concept, the topic of God first. Second topic is that of uh, creation. And the third topic is that of time or presented in the beginning, time, God, concept of God, created, creation. So these three topics, anytime man has tried to study any one of these topics, it leads to the other. And so you can't really do a study of one topic and not do a study of the other in some concept, even if rationally, uh, uh, just, just trying to rationalize out everything. So what this is saying is, what Genesis 1-1 is saying, is in the beginning God created that there was a beginning, an absolute beginning. That that was countercultural to a lot of things that they were believing. No, there was a time. There was a definite beginning. And in that beginning, God created. That creative work that he did was the thing that started this time-space universe. Before this, there was no time. So this is hard for us who are in time to sort of comprehend, but we'll look at these three school of thoughts here in just a few moments. But these three things, time, God, there is an absolute God, God who has all power, who is eternal, God who is before the beginning, who is before time, above time, beyond time, and that God created. So this is a definitive statement. Now, it seems like it's very settled, but um, in, in Christianity today, this is a place where, well, I'd say in our culture today, this is an area where we really are failing. And I would say that Genesis 1-1 is probably the most doubted, most contested passage of Scripture in all of our culture even today. For an in-depth study on the unique attributes of God, we shared an eight-week lesson, I think it was three or maybe four or five years ago now, called Absolute, and we talked about the eight unique attributes of God. You can see that on the podcast. That's on our CTK podcast, and you can find that. You can go back to that, and I talked about, I talked about the uniqueness of God, and we talked about that a little bit, so we're not going to cover, encompass all of that. After establishing the absoluteness of God among the origin of other things, God, time, and creation, after, and, and the other things that we talk about in, in chapters 1 through 11, mankind, the, the theology of man, humankind, uh, and everything that entails that, the fall of man, we could go on. Once we go through all of those things here in Genesis, the entirety of the rest of Scripture, so Genesis 12 through Revelation 22, is given. I would propose this to you. It's not given... It is given to us as God's self-revelation. And it culminates in the final book of our scripture entitled, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. So God, in, the, in Genesis chapter 1, 1, we're establishing that in the beginning, God. God is our starting point. He is the beginning of everything. He is the subject of the, of the sentence here. The, the, the in the beginning is describing what's taking place or the, or the time period, the start of time, and what that God did, he created. He created the heaven 
and the earth. So it starts out with this absoluteness. And it tells what God does. And then Genesis chapter 12, all the way through Revelation 22, it begins to reveal to us God. It begins to prove to us God. It begins to show us the manifest things about God. It is impossible for you to look at Scripture and study Scripture and man, for you to walk away not believing that God is true. Now, we are sinful creatures. We are prideful beings. And so it is possible for us in our rebellion to displace God and to say no to God in some form or some fashion and to reject parts of God. It is, it is, but it is really, it is really, it was our own blindness that allows us not to see God. In fact, Paul makes the statement that there are two places outside of Scripture that every person, every individual is without excuse. Every individual will stand with God without excuse. You know what those two things are? Number one, the first is creation. For the invisible things of Him are seen clearly. Seen clearly, he says, in creation. Hugh, Hugh Ross, I believe, is his name. Uh, uh, Reasons to Believe is his organization. He was an astrologer. He was an atheist. And he started studying and he looked and he said, there's no way. There is no way that there is any other explanation beside the fact that there was an absolute God that spoke and these things came into being. And so he has a ministry entitled Reasons to Believe, which is pretty powerful, pretty persuasive. He literally came to God by studying the stars. Studying the stars. The second place that you will be without excuse, Paul says, is your conscience. The fact that you have a conscience. And we, we won't get into that. Um, this, this, these topics, God, time, creation, or God, creation, and time, these three things, these hold the answer to our existence and to existence in general. The question of existence is, why am I? And these three topics also hold the answer to the meaning of life. The question for life's meaning is, what is my purpose? Why am I, and what is my purpose? At some point, everybody finds themselves usually asking this question. Why am I, and what is my purpose? Well, that is not found anywhere else outside of this understanding of whether or not there is a God, whether or not He created, and where we are in this time-space universe. That's why we're looking at this here. These topics are where men go to search for these answers. And when men go to search for these answers, and they do not allow for the existence of God... Everything breaks down, and they come up with some really crazy ideas. And man in general has rejected God since the Garden of Eden, since the fall. Man has rejected God. And so when man goes to look for these answers while not permitting the option that God is real and that God is the reason why we are here, you come up with some crazy and strange Strange interpretations. Genesis is written as a bold and defining declaration against the chaos and confusion of the world's ideas and paganism. And this is where we come to in Genesis chapter 
one and one. There are three things on your handout. There are three primary views of creation. I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I do feel it is necessary to sort of give you a look into this. So we're going to step outside of the Bible. We're going to step outside, let's say, of what Scripture says to give to you competing viewpoints on creation. Those three things are materialism. Those three beliefs are materialism, pantheism, or theism. Now, there have been other... You may not understand these... You may not understand what these definitions are, but this is our way of categorizing it academically. But these are the three main things that have persisted or prevailed all throughout humanity and antiquity, even going back all the way to ancient Asia, the ancient Near East civilizations, Babylon um, would have had an uh, account of, of materialism. They, they would have scri- ascribed to something like that. Uh, Plato, uh, we're going way back. These ancient worlds, th- the roots of these ideas were already prevalent in their own, in their own form back when Moses writes this scripture. So this is pretty interesting when he gives it to us. So there are three views on creation. Each one within each view, there are variant views. So there's variant views of materialism. There's variant views of pantheism. And of course, there are variant views of theism. I will take a time, uh, some time tonight to explain a few of them. And the reason why I want to take the time to do this and not just jump straight to theism, which is the belief in God, The reason why I want to take time to explain this to you is because if you're not aware, you may become more aware, is that these ideas permeate so much of our entertainment today. Our entertainment today is driven by these ideas, whether it be in books or whether it be in movie form, especially among especially pronounced among the science fiction genre. Now, for all of you science fiction lovers, I'm not here to preach against science fiction. There's nothing wrong with science fiction, daydreaming, whatever. That's, that's fine. But I do warn you that there is a lot of times where the opportunity is taken to incorporate, be it materialism or pantheism, directly into the science fiction narrative. And when we prop children and ourselves up constantly in front of that, how do we, how do we know how to navigate and decipher all of that stuff? And in our culture, we can uh, uh, inadvertently, with the fragile and vulnerable mind, we can bring the Bible down to the level of basically as a lot of people do, Greek mythology. In fact, a lot of people would put the Scripture below the mythologies and the ancient things. A lot of our entertainment, a lot of these things that are created are not uh, the stuff that comes out of New Ageism, Hinduism, uh, whatever else you want to add in there. So you can connect the dots on your own. That's not my responsibility. What happens in your house is not my responsibility. And you probably heard me say that as pastor again. My responsibility is not in your household. You have to be responsible for your own household. And everybody said amen. amen. 
And the reason, and I would say this though, this is my, this is the editorial page. The reason why you have heard me contend that America is not a Christian nation is not because that we weren't, we didn't take uh, the Bible as some of the foundation for, uh, you know, the drafting of our governmental structure and stuff like that. That's not what I'm saying. The reason why I'm saying America is not a Christian nation is because basically we sold out to entertainment decades ago. And entertainment has trumped anything else privately in the home for generations now. And, and we cease to be, it doesn't matter what we put on the sign. It doesn't matter what we, what we put outside. What, what really matters is what's going on inside of the home. And these industries are just making money, 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 hand over fist. And we're just surrendering. We're surrendering our souls at the altar of idolatry in so many instances. And you know me, I don't, I'm not preaching. I'm not one to preach against entertainment. There's a lot of good entertainment out there. There's no reason why you can't enjoy great entertainment. We have more access, accessibility, I believe, today to great entertainment than at any time, maybe in human history. So, uh, but, but we've sold our soul. Enough on that. Let's go on. Uh, three things, and I'm taking this, what you have in your handout, I am taking a large part of this from uh, Dr. Giesler's Systematic Theology. It's one of my favorite uh, reference or resources that I have in my library um, here today. So we're going to look at this. Three things, three alternate views, and I've got to do this in about 15 or 20 minutes here. Materialism, materialism is the first. We'll, we'll, we'll wait till we come to the summary of each one of them. I don't know who's running the screen back there, Sister Monica. We'll wait till we come to the summary and then we'll throw it up. But let me give a little bit of introduction on each of these. So if you want to take notes on this, you can. I do think, I don't know if this is in your handout, but materialism, the definition of materialism is creation out of matter. Creation out of matter. I think you have that to write down. Matter is the word there. Materialism says that matter is eternal. That substance, the substance of, of what we are, the atomic uh, substance of stuff, of the earth, the makeup of the universe, is matter, and matter has always existed. It is eternal. Uh, um, Plato ascribed to this line of thought that God created out of a pre-existing matter. And so materialism says there's there's two variants with two basic variants within materialism that matter uh, creation is out of matter that there was already stuff and and this stuff existed forever. Plato comes along and says, well, there was there there was a, a supreme being. We'll call it God. There was a God, but that God just came and he just he used stuff that was already at his disposal. And he formed and he shaped and he sort of created things. The other side of materialism is atheism. And, and this is very prevalent. We're most familiar with this. A variant of that would be agnosticism, which agnostics at least are more honest than atheists, I feel, because agnostics would acknowledge, I don't know whether there is a God or not but they still ascribe to materialism. Matter is eternal. The universe is all that exists. 
And because of that, there is no need for God. So it's just matter. Matter always existed, and this matter sort of comes together. This is where the, the, the roots of evolution came from. By the way, you heard me say it the other day. I think Darwin did not in invent evolution. He sort of coined it, but the concepts of all of this predated Christ, went back to the time uh, of even Plato. There was competing thoughts even in his time and around the time of Christ where they're saying, well, matter was always there and it just sort of all just sort of came together on its own. Now, I live in a house. There's three of us. I'm 41. I don't know how old my wife is. I'm not going to say. And my son is four. And one thing I know is that we have never left the house and come back and it be more put together or more evolved. If that were possible, man, that would be awesome. It does not happen. What I do know is if you leave, things break and fall apart while you're gone. I don't know how that happens. Um, it's amazing how that is. So a summary of materialism is four things, four things that we could take away in the summary of materialism. Number one, material is eternal. That's what they would say. Material is eternal. It's always existed. And then number two, no creator is necessary because this stuff always existed. So they're answering the question, well, who started the stuff? Who created the stuff? Where did the stuff come from? And their answer to where the stuff came from is, well, it's always been. It has always been. And there has never been a beginning. There's never been a time without time. It's always been time. The third thing, humans are not immortal. Atheism believes we're just stuff. We are just, uh, uh, materialism just believes that we are the culmination of matter. When we die, that matter will dissipate into the earth, and that matter is, is ceases to exist. So when we say humans are not immortal, humans uh, do not have a soul. You will not live beyond this. A very prevalent thought that hit our culture a few years ago, it hits every generation, it just recoins itself, that comes from this idea or this concept this theology, YOLO. You only live once. YOLO. Live however you want. Now, peace, YOLO, man, just do whatever you want. doesn't really matter. Well, actually, it does matter. Because in the beginning, God created. So sometimes cultural trends, you know, we pick up, we don't even know, when we're just, you know, I've, I've, I've used that before. YOLO, you know, you only live once. Buy another Bible. You only live once, you know? Buy, 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 do do whatever, whatever, whatever you want to do. But humans are immortal. That's what they would say, that, that beyond your existence, nothing else. So it doesn't matter. So if you believe this, why is abortion wrong? It's just the culmination of matter, and they justify it. Uh, freak, uh, uh, Freakonomics was the book. Jeff and I think it was David wrote the book. And uh, they came under some criticism because they justified, uh, they, they made the correlation between the rise in abortion and the decline in crime in the United States. In the 90s, we were on a trajectory for crime that seemingly for some reason slowed down. And nobody really has the answer. No, nobody really understands why. And so they stepped up and said, well, we know why, because, uh, because of abortion. And so they actually used that which is the roots of abortion 
has always been justified in this kind of theology, in this kind of idea. And so abortion is not a political, it, is, it has been made to be a political lightning rod, but it's not a political lightning rod. A lot of things that have been made political right, lightning rods, we have allowed the world to take the narrative instead of us following the narrative of Scripture, what Scripture would say. So materialism says humans are not immoral, and then number, uh, immortal, and then number four, humans are not unique. You're just another animal. You're just, you're, you're, you may be at the top of the food chain. You, you may be the most evolved animal, but you're just an animal. And that is actually not, as we're going to see in Genesis chapter number one and chapter number two, that actually is not what the Bible teaches that you, male or female, are made in the image of God. Now, God created all things. That doesn't mean that we go around and we just kill anything and we have no care and no concern for anything. we we got to steward certain things, uh, um, stewardship of the earth. But there is something different about the human life. We'll look at that and we'll, we'll study that. But this is where materialism leads us. Humans are not a, unique. Pantheism... Now, whereas materialism says matter is eternal, pantheism says that, this is, this is hilarious, that matter doesn't exist. That we are just mind and spirit. Okay, follow me for a moment here. Pantheism says matter doesn't exist. That you are just a thought. That matter is not a reality, it's just an illusion. So I'm not making this stuff up, folks. This is like, this is actual stuff. So this would be creation, and here's the crazy thing, it's creation out of God. So pantheism believes that God and is, is sort of mind-spirit, this mind-spirit, and we're all mind-spirit, and we are the daydreams, the thoughts of God. And we are not really real. It's just a thought. We don't really exist. We're just a thought. This is very, very prevalent in, in, in New Age-ism. A lot of New Age philosophers... Hindu philosophers, some of them would ascribe to this. And so you are just a thought. So when you feel pain or you feel anything, well, it's really just, it's just an illusion. So like the fact that I'm standing here and I'm able to touch this and feel this, well, that's, that's not actually real. It's just an illusion. It's just my mind thinking that something is actually real. In fact, not only is this pulpit not real and the wood's not real, my hand's not even real. It's just, it's just a mind kind of thing. Now, there is another variant, in pan that's absolute pantheism. So absolute pantheism, only mind exists, not matter. Matter is only an illusion. God exists, but not creation. Get this. It only comes out, out of God as a dream from the mind. So you are like God's daydreams. So God, for some of us, is just having a really bad dream. <laughs> Now, there's another part of pantheism, absolute pantheism versus, this is really academic, non-absolute pantheism. 
and non-absolute pantheism would say, give a little bit more flex, flexibility and latitude because it sounds sort of ridiculous to say this is not real. They say, okay, well, 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 maybe it is real. Maybe there is a real thing, but everything, everything is one with God. And while there are many things, matter, stuff, atomic, you know, elements that are make up of all of existence, while there's many things, they all spring from the essence of God. All things come from God, all things are a part of God, and all things merge back into God. In fact, this room is God. The chair is God. The carpet is God. This pulpit is God. And it, it sort of came from God, and God made it, and it's still God, and it doesn't do anything, but then when it ceases to exist, it's going to go back into God, and it's all one with God, and we're all God. This is the summary of pantheism. Number one, the summary is there is no absolute distinction between creator and creation. Creator and creation, there is no distinction. It is sort of all the same. God is made of the same stuff that stuff is. So stuff is made of the same stuff as God. Number two, there is an eternal reaction between creator and creation, meaning that this mind of God just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. It never ends. It just keeps on going. And then number three, the world, I already said, the world is of the same stuff as God. And number four, and this is the real dangerous part, the interesting part, human beings are God. And so you've probably heard this. You don't look to God. You look to God within yourself. You are God. And when you can find contentment within yourself, you become God. And so it becomes a form of humanism where we then deify ourselves, not in the context that we think that, oh, I have power to cause the moon to stop or the, or, 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 or the sun to stop or the sun to rise. I know I don't do that, but we sort of justify ourselves. I am my God. And then we get to this, my reality is my own reality, and your reality is your reality, and you can't project your reality on me, and there's no absolute, there's no absolute truth. Your truth is your truth, but my truth is my truth. And we start walking around like every civilization that believes this has corrupted and fallen and died, but yet this is very prevalent in our culture today in our entertainment. This is very prevalent in our culture. You just don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me. And so now we're, we're, we're going to see an unraveling. We've seen an unraveling. We're going to see an unraveling of all kinds of things. Now, there are some uh, moves and topics in our culture that come up that, that as society we address and we talk about. But the problem comes when the solution is brought about from a materialistic or a pantheistic viewpoint and not a biblical viewpoint, it will not work. And that's one reason why the Bible warns us when they say, peace, peace, warning, sudden destruction is going to come. Because there are no answers in this life outside of God. So that's that's a summary of pantheism. This... Um, I, I had some things. I should have written down some things. You know, Shirley MacLaine was a, uh, a well-known actor. She was probably one of the most famous ones, I think, for being a pantheist, being very pronounced uh, pantheism. And so 
um, euthanasia, suicide. I don't know if you heard about the couple that committed suicide. He was 95, and I think she was 93. They've been married 73 years, and so they, they wanted to go public before the world to bring somebody up to end their life together. And it was sort of a, a pantheistic kind of idea that we sort of are our own God and we can take authority in our own life and we can just, we can cause our life to end um, whenever we want. The Bible clearly tells us in the beginning, God created. You do not have authority over your life when it begins and when it ends. That is not for us. That is given to God. So even Job, in his desperation, trying to want to come to the end of his life, did not yet ever contemplate taking his own life. In all of Job's suffering, he begged to God, God, why did you let me come? Why did you let me exist? God, I, this is not working out good. God, there's nothing justified in this. And he goes through all of this stuff. Lord, I wish you would cause my days to cease. But he never, ever usurped the authority or the concept of God to say that I have the authority to take my own life as if we had given ourselves life. And the final thing is theism, and this will close with this. Theism is creation out of nothing. So whereas materialism is creation out of matter, God, we don't need God because matter created everything. It just was. It just happened some incredible way. And then pantheism says, well, creation comes out of God. It's sort of like this essence, but nothing's really real, and I'm God and you're God. Theism says, no, creation came out of nothing. There was a God who brought about out of nothing. He started, he created, he gave. He is the author. He is the giver of life. He's not just the molder. He does say that I am the potter and you are the clay. But what he also is, is he's the one who made the clay. So theism says creation out of nothing. It is represented in Orthodox Judaism. A lot of Judaism, by the way, is steeped in mysticism, and it gets way far out from Scripture. So not all Judaism would necessarily acknowledge the word, but Orthodox Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Those are the three prevailing Traditions in the world, faiths in the world that would acknowledge this simple fact that creation came out of nothing. Four important elements of theism. Number one, there is an absolute difference between creator and creation. Creator is eternal. Creation is temporal. I could go through a lot of differences, but there is an absolute distinction between creator and creation. Creator is limitless. Creation is limited. Creator is all-knowing. Creation is not. There is an absolute difference. There is an absolute difference. That is as opposed to pantheism that says there is no absolute distinction. There is an absolute distinction. My pastor would always say this phrase. It's a good phrase. It's a good thing to remember. Those that have been at IBC probably have heard this, said it all the time. He is God, and I am not. 
That's pretty simple, but it's pretty profound. He is God, and I am not. There is an absolute difference between creator and creation. Number two, creation had a beginning. There was a beginning. There was a starting point. That is significant. We'll look at that why later on. Number three, the nothing out of which God created was absolutely nothing. That needs to be clarified because some people think, well, nothing in the sense that, well, nothing was formed, but there was substance and matter and material. No, there was nothing. There was no energy. There was no stuff. One reason why they go back to the Big Bang, there's a couple things, and it's, it's way over my pay grade. It's way over my uh, ability to understand. But the Big Bang theory says that, you know, there was this energy, and it seems like since the universe is expanding, I don't know how they measure the universe, but since they know it is expanding, that there was a starting point. It would say, it would seem to say, that there was a starting point. And so if it's expanding, there had to be an initial burst. There had to be an eruption. The problem with the Big Bang Theory is that when energy be, expands and it throws off, um, it, it has a certain effect. There's a scientific effect that you can take place. For instance, have you ever been to the old-fashioned uh, playgrounds and the merry-go-round? Anybody remember the merry-go-round? They don't have merry-go-rounds anymore because you'd line up, you know, however many kids you could and told them to help hold on, and then you would run as fast as you could, and you'd try to see how fast you can get them going. Well, if you get the merry-go-round going fast enough, you're going to throw the kids off. Well, if the merry-go-round is going clockwise, this is a scientific law. If the merry-go-round is going clockwise, when those child are thrown off, those child will begin to orbit clockwise. That, that, that is true. They will, if they're going counterclockwise, when they go off, they will begin to orbit counterclockwise. Well, then you come to our simple solar system, and not all the planets are going in the same direction. How do you explain that? So they can't explain it. So they know that there's things that break down on it, but they don't have anything better to replace it, so they keep it in the textbooks. But one thing that probably is true is that they believe that there was a burst of energy. There was something. There had to be a starting point where everything sort of exploded. There had to be a point where that happened. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In fact, they would say that before this process is even possible, the atmosphere had to be charged just right. That's what Moses was saying. God created out of absolute nothing. He is the uncaused causer. He is the charger. He is the one that sets everything in motion. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the life. There's power in this. So he did not form or manipulate what was already. He spoke it into being. And number four, creation out of nothing is not creation by nothing. 
Some people would say, well, there was nothing, and then all of a sudden, God shows up and does something. No, God was. God is eternal. So God is eternal. You and I are not. Heaven and earth is not. Heaven and earth had a starting point. All creation had a starting point, but God alone is eternal. These are the three prevailing views of creation. So we would ascribe to theism creation out of nothing. The intelligent design community is a growing, vast, vastly growing community in our world today. Groupings of scientists. If you want to study it, it doesn't take a lot of journalistic investigation to figure out how marginalized the media and the publishers, a lot of the publishers are in our world today against any scientist that will break the narrative of materialism or pantheism. It, it is unbelievable, astounding. And we are left to assume that all scientists believe the same thing and are confirming the same thing. That is not true. There is a large, large uh, community of scientists that are saying this is not possible. And the Intelligent Design Committee puts out a lot of interesting stuff. I have some books and videos I would encourage you to uh, I think Stephen Meyer is one of them. That, that it's tons of lectures, awesome stuff. Um, they look at creation and say, there's no way that this just happened. It is not possible. We have to defy every law of science and every law of observe, uh, observation to say that it is this. In fact, they're saying, I have to put more faith in the fact that there isn't a God that did all this. It's easier for me to believe that there was a God. And the intelligent design community is a group of scientists that say, look, we don't want to talk about who God is or what God is or whether or not God has anything to do with us. And so that's where I think they obviously where they fall short and where they miss the boat. They don't think that's important, but they just say there had to be a supreme being that created this, that did this. And so there are a lot, a lot of things that uh, are not answered. What, what is being put in our, in our uh, academic books in higher education today is, uh, is crazy. And, it, and it's not stuff that's new. It's not stuff that's new, folks. It repeats itself. I have a book in there, the Babylonian Genesis. I have other books on the ancient Near East, mythologies and things that they have. And if you read it, it's the same stuff that they're teaching today there's different stats, different evidences that are there. So what I'm here to tell you is that we can put our faith in the Word of God and trust in the Word of God. Where we'll come down next week, we'll look at is we'll get into the debate of creation versus evolution, theistic evolution. What, what do we think about that and uh, how we ought to navigate and approach that? Um, because that is a big, big argument, big discussion, big topic here in um, our world today.